Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him, Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. With another spectacular English classic sale done and dusted, yearling buyers will now focus on the English premier sale over three busy days, Sunday, February 28, Monday, March the 1st, and Tuesday, March the 2nd. 804 yearlings have been catalogued, 590 in the premier, 214 in the showcase session at the world-class Oaklands Auditorium in Melbourne. English believe this is the strongest premier catalogue ever produced. 75 individual vendors will offer the progeny of 118 stallions, including several impressive first season sires. 466 of the yearlings are Vobus nominated, 474 are Bob's eligible. Since 2018, 15 Group 1 winners have come out of this sale including top liners like Nature Strip and Santa Ana Lane. Email catalogue at inglis.com.au or call 039333-1422. Remember, every yearling in the catalogue will be eligible for the rich Inglis race series in 2022. The Inglis Premier Sale, February 28, March 1st and March the 2nd. Danny Beasley's many fans in Singapore and Australia were very surprised in 2017 when he announced his retirement from race riding to become assistant trainer to expatriate Aussie Dan Maher. They got an even bigger surprise two weeks ago when the 45-year-old released the news that he intended to ride in races again. Danny never really abandoned the saddle. He's been riding track work and in barrier trials for all of his four-year absence and that has enabled him to maintain his fitness levels and keep his weight in check. When Daniel Beasley called it quits, he did so with the enviable record of 2,000 wins, including 18 Group 1s, six of them in Singapore, where he'd ridden 500 winners in the previous decade. Racing in Singapore took a belting during the COVID crisis, closing down completely for 12 weeks and resuming on a restricted basis for many more weeks. Michael Rodd was one jockey who headed back to Australia, while trainers Lee Friedman and Cliff Brown are in the process of returning home. Danny wasted no time in organising his comeback once the Singapore Turf Club renewed his contract. And on Saturday night, February 20th, it was good to see his name on the Cranji riding list for the first time in four years. He had five rides, none of them got into the placings, but he gave each of them every opportunity and looked as though he'd never been away. Danny, did you feel as though you'd never been away? No, it was uh, it was very good to get back in there, John, and, and good morning to you and to all the listeners. But uh, gee, uh, once I got those silks on, boots on, I, I felt like I hadn't left, and uh, gee, did I enjoy the day. Oh, 
I bet you did. I think I saw three of your races and uh, the ones I saw, it was obvious that you'd given those horses every hope. But more importantly, you were still looking strong by the last. Uh, You know, when jockeys get tired, they can look untidy, but you didn't. Yeah, no, I I felt good, John. Um, I was very happy with the way the day went and happy with the fitness. I definitely improved from the run. Um, But uh, I suppose that's like when you get a bit, when you're older and with the experience, you know how to pace yourself. And um, I'd put plenty of uh, groundwork into getting myself ready for the day. So Mm. um, all in all, I was was happy with the way the day turned out, albeit um, the horses probably ran a little bit disappointing. But Mm. Um, yeah, as as the day went went through, I my fitness and health, uh, body stood up good, and, and um, even mm. this morning I pulled up pretty well. Mm. I thought you might be a little stiff and sore this morning, but not the case. Yeah, no, it's been pulled up pretty well, John. I um, I do a lot of yoga, and um, I tell everyone it, it's it's the best thing ever. Mm. Um, yeah, all the stretching and uh, and I've done it for a long, long time. Good on you. And um, it's uh, I, you read about people in their like older years still doing it, and they say it makes them feel young. So mm. uh, I've been doing it for a long time, and I really, uh, yeah, swear by it. It's mm. a, it's a great thing, and keeps you keeps you young, and keeps you feeling good, and oh. it's um. Uh, Seeing how I pulled up this morning, it's another yeah. thing I can put down to the yoga, I reckon. Well, Dan, there's an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea Danny Beasley was into yoga. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah breaking news. <laughs> yes, it is. How does you feel when the first of your five rides, I think his name was Red Claw, moved into the gates on Saturday night? Was the old heart pumping? Yeah, yeah, definitely, John. I was, I was, I was pretty excited about it, you know. Like, um, oh, as a, I went to work in the morning and um, sort of just kept myself uh, focused on what I had to do during the day. And um, then uh, by the time I got to the races, and as I say, got those silks and boots on, and then you, you started to just get uh, excited for it, you know. I couldn't wait to get out there and just get on him and and get him to the barriers and that. And, um, and that probably showed uh, in my ride. I probably got him out and got him running. I don't think he's led in his life, so uh, yeah. I got him out and got him running. Um, and he, I probably had him a bit close, to be fair. Uh, mm. And um, and that sort of told on him in the end. But mm. um, I was better for the run, and um, it was it was good to get that one out of the way. And uh, yeah, I was, it uh, as I said, I was just very very happy how the day went. Albeit the horses probably didn't perform quite quite that well, but um, yeah, I just really can't wait to get out there again next Saturday now. I just really got that bug. Many comeback jockeys have to shed a lot of weight in one hit, but you haven't had that problem, uh, which obviously had something to do with your decision, the fact that you didn't have to pull off 15 kilos. Yeah, definitely, John. Like it, That would make the decision hard, you know, and that was, I think, what helped me a lot yesterday. Like I went to the races, albeit I only had to ride 56 kilos but i went to the races and stepped on the scales at 53 kilos yesterday so i was able to have breakfast in the morning and keep my sort of a daily routine so i went there not dehydrated not fatigued and and i think that really helped help so if i can uh keep my 
weight at a good sensible level and, and be sensible about the rides I take. Um, I think I like I really hope that I've still got a few more years that mm. this is not just a like a one year type of thing. I, I think if I can have another three, four, five years mm. in the saddle again, it would be really good. Mm. You know, Dan, mature jockeys are very fashionable these days, largely due to the success of riders like uh, Jeff Lloyd, who retired a couple of years ago, Jimmy Byrne, Robbie Frad, Glenn Boss, Damien Oliver, Dwayne Dunn's another one in Melbourne. You're yeah. 45, you're just a lad. Yeah, like, um, as you say, John, those guys have rode uh, a lot longer into their years than, than what I am at now. So uh, definitely the way I feel and the way I got through yesterday, mm. um, I think there's still a good few years left in me, especially under the Singapore program of that once. And hopefully we get back to twice a week mm. as, as maybe probably not this year, but maybe looking into next year, we might get back to the twice a week mm. uh, scenario. And that lends itself to, to longevity for sure. Mm. Dan, let's have a look at the jockeys you'll be competing against up there. Vlad Durek's had a tremendous run since going to Singapore, but he hasn't been riding lately. Yeah, no, Vlad's done extremely well up here. He's He's been champion, I think, four times. And, um, yeah, he's just, I, from what they tell me, uh, I haven't spoke to Vlad myself, but he's, he's just had a bit of a weight issue and a little bit of a health problem. But I think that's all behind him. And um, I th- I'm pretty sure we'll be seeing him back in, a, in the next couple of weeks. Mm, that's good news. We hear about some very talented apprentice riders you've got in Singapore, and forgive me if I mispronounce the names, but uh, there's a young fellow called Kamarudin Hakim, uh, Simon Kok, and Thangamani Krishna. Now, Dan, how would those boys rate alongside a top apprentice in Australia? Yeah, well, well, Simon Cock is a good example because last, I think it was, uh, it would have been the year before actually because COVID was around last year, but the year before he went down and done a stint with David Hayes oh. for three months and he actually done really well. He rode, uh, I'd say, about, about five or six winners in his short time mm. and I know David and, and Tom and Ben were very, very happy with him. They, they t- spoke highly of him. And um, he rode winners in Melbourne, and he went to Adelaide, went across to Adelaide and rode winners. Um, so he done well. So he he would definitely, um, if he made a permanent move to Australia, would definitely uh, match up against the apprentices really well. Yeah. Um, and he's a good rider. He won. He actually won the Singapore Gold Cup last year. So I don't know how many apprentices have done that. No. Um, and the young fella, the first guy you said, Hakim, mm. he's taken Singapore by storm this year. He he sort of came through uh, middle of last year and didn't have much opportunity because of COVID. Mm. But um, he's apprenticed to Mark Walker, who gives him a lot of opportunities. Mm. And uh, I think he rode a double yesterday, but the two previous weekends, he rode four winners Did both weekends, yeah. both weekends. So um, he, he's got a good advantage. He's, he's a little light fella and he claims free and he can get mm. down on those things with 50 and 51 kilos and ride mm. 47, 48 kilos. But he's got a lot of natural balance and horses run for him and he's a really nice, quiet kid and mm. got a good head on his shoulders, yeah. Good. And, and, 
Jimmy Wong yeah. and uh, Louis Bazilan, you tell me, are very good writers. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Wong, he's he's just come out of his time. He was a very good apprentice and uh, got a lot of time for him. I think he's a, a very natural horseman mm. and um, he, he he does well and I, I would think that he could actually travel to Australia or New Zealand or that and, mm. and do very, very well. But he's got a very good career uh, in front of him as he's a little light fella and um, he, he's a nice kid and, uh, yeah, he's he'll keep on the right track and mm. he'll do well. He'll be a name that you'll see in the Singapore race cards for a, for a long time and be very successful. He's got a good career. Mm. And the other guy, uh, Louis, he's, a, he's got a quite an interesting history. I think he's originally from Jamaica. Mm. Um, but grew up in France or something like that yeah. and then ended up doing his apprenticeship with Sir Michael Stout in mm. England Gosh. and um, then he's, I think he's he's not that old, he's only 24 or 25 and he's came over here, yeah. uh, rode here last season. Um, link, he's linked up with Michael Clements, which is the leading stable mm. and I think he'd probably, he's going to do pretty well here. Mm. He's next, a man next. of the world. He's a man of the world, yeah, yeah, well, well travelled, and um, no, he's um, he's very vigorous, very strong, mm. um, and uh, he's with the right stable, so he, mm. he's going to do well, John. Yeah, there was talk not long ago of a possible prize money reduction in Singapore, but that's not the case. That's great news. Yeah, we've had uh, news filter through the last couple of weeks that the prize money will stay untouched. Um, which is great news because that that means that um, we've probably got to a point where uh, we won't go down any further and it's time to start rebuilding. So um, they're going to look at um, increasing the races uh, from April and hopefully uh, as the year goes on, the club can get back and and get itself back to where it was. But the COVID really knocked knocked it around, John, and... um, Mm. Uh, as as Singapore's handled the COVID, the government's handled the COVID. They've been quite quite strict on their restrictions, and we we still don't have crowds at the races. and mm. And it's a bit funny. There's it's not like um, Australia in that like at home. It's it's very easy to have a bet, isn't it? It's like mm. if you're not on a tab, you just only have to have your phone. Where here you have to you have to be a I'm not fully sure on the whole uh, finer points of it, but you've got to be a registered member of the turf club to be able to have an account or something, mm. have a have a phone account, and then you or then they have the outlets, the Singapore pool outlets are uh, they're not really as convenient as just walking into Tab and having a bet. You mm. you see the lineups, <laughs> you yeah. you actually wouldn't you'd want to be a nice. Uh, are desperate to have a bet because sometimes you look see the lineups outside the Singapore Bulls there, they're yeah. a kilometre long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Aussie yeah. punters wouldn't fancy that. <laughs> no, no, no. There's not, they're not the convenience to have a bet. Yeah. So the the crowd's not coming to the races have really hurting the turf club. Yeah. And hopefully that can change in the next <laughs> couple of months. You rode your very first winner at Corowa. January 1993, horse called Power Street, and the trainer was Donna McQueen. You were originally apprenticed to Peter Maher at Wodonga, but you later transferred to Lee Friedman at Flemington at a time when the brothers were 
absolutely dominating. What were some of the better horses you got to ride work when you arrived at Freedman's? Yeah, I was lucky, John. I rode, I was stayed at Flemington, and that, that stable was just the who's who. As you said, they uh, all their big names were there. They they had just had, um, that was times of Paris Lane and um, uh, Scalacci and Dan Zero and Poetic King. And mm-hmm. um, oh, you just can name one after the other. They were all Group One winners, and that was uh, when they were at their at their strengths. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it's quite amazing. Like, I was just having a, a had a phone call from a friend in Australia, and we we're just talking about the the boys, and just aren't they amazing? How good they are with two year olds. Like mm. they've just been. Anthony won the Blue Diamond there yesterday, and Michael yeah. and Richard had a had a really good two year old winner there in Sydney last weekend, and mm. of course, how many Golden Slippers they won. So mm. they've been great trainers all the boys over the years. Um, Melbourne Cups and whatever, but, geez, they've got an affinity with their two-year-olds. Mm. You had a, a surprise supporter uh, during that time when you were with Freedman's, David Hayes. His stables were right next door. He took a shine to young D. Beasley. You won quite a few races for his stable. Yeah, David was um, – he was probably very instrumental in how my apprenticeship took its shape because – um, I didn't get a lot of opportunity off Lee, uh, but David gave me a lot of opportunity and um, I, I rode a lot of winners for David. I, I pretty much outrode my claim down to one and a half before I made the move to Sydney and, uh, geez, I, uh, the high percentage of them would have been David's horses for sure. Mm. You spent the last two years of your apprenticeship with Graham Begg at Randwick. Now, he must have been a fan for a long time because in April of 1995, he actually called you in the Riverina out of the blue to ride two horses for him at Rose Hill. Can you remember what he said? Uh, yeah, well, I think probably Pete took the phone call, but, um, hmm. uh, yeah, so, uh, so Graham had been watching me or someone had, had, had said that uh, I rode, rode okay and, he had that really good mare, Ramouche, and she yeah. was she had uh, heavy weight, and uh, he looked needed a three kilo kid, so he, he got me to come up, and then he gave me another ride on the day on Beldine. Yeah, and as it worked out, they both won, oh. so it was it was a pretty special day. I'll never forget it. I was still calling then, and yeah, I, I can yeah. remember thinking to myself, "Who is this kid?" Yeah, yeah, you probably yep. it would never have heard of me. Everybody was <laughs> asking the same question. Why would Graham Begg bring a kid all the way from the Riverina to ride two horses at Rose Hill? The answer was he'd seen you on Sky and he'd been impressed. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was a great day. And uh, as it worked on through the times, as you said, I ended up with Graham and spent my last two years apprentice with him. Mm. With him, and he was a great boss, and I had uh, he gave me a lot of good opportunities, and um, I got a lot of good memories. Got a uh, rode a lot of good horses, and he took me to Hong Kong with him to yeah. to ride monopolised work when mm. he won one of his international bowls, and uh, so the mm. the experience I had with Graham was invaluable. Yeah, well, that was a lovely little junker to trip to Hong Kong to ride monopolising yeah. track work. He won that race twice, you know, the Hong Kong Bowl. Wayne Harris rode him the first time and Darren yep. Beedman the second. What was your year, the year Wayne was the rider? Uh, Darren. Beedman, the, the second one. Yeah, the second one, yep. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you got back 
you tried out the European style of riding in Sydney. Toe in, pumping action, very little whip. What was the reaction from trainers and fellows jockeys? I mean, you look like you just stepped out of the pages of uh, a race meeting at uh, at Longchamp. <laughs> well, I was I was always uh, I loved and idolised Tranky Dottori when I was starting starting off, and I used to go into middies at Ramwick mm. and um, annoy old Mick Castle to <laughs> get help him to get me. Um, videos the old videos from um you'd have to uh, fill out the form and order them and then they'd they'd come in a couple of weeks and you'd uh so i'd always get these videos of frankie and study them and then when i went to hong kong i got to meet those guys and Mm. i remember neville Begg telling me he he regarded the french jockeys as some of the best in the world and some of the best that he's seen so i studied them and Mm. yeah and um when I when I come back, I just started to put it into action, and yeah, I got probably a, a bit of criticism in the early days, but mm. I started to ride a few winners, and then once you start to ride a few winners, you start to convert convert yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, that shut them up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't expect a Sydney jockey to ride his first Group One winner in Melbourne, but that's exactly what you did. It was a lovely chestnut mare called Miss Penny Money for a trainer called Jim Conlon. It was the new market, in fact, but you'd ridden her before that. You rode her in the Futurity and you ran into a couple of useful horses in that Futurity in finishing third, Testa yeah. Rossa and Reduce Choice. Yeah. So she didn't have bad form lines going into the new market, dropping back down to, yeah. um, I think she dropped back down to about 52 kilos, so... Mm. Um, and that was Jim wanted someone that could ride her in that race and then ride her in the new market. Mm. And um, I think he just probably what we just spoke about, the, my my style, he thought would suit her, not mm. too much whip and, and push her along and yeah. um, just sit a bit quiet on her. And uh, as, as you say, she ran a great race in the Futurity. She's probably only a couple of, length, couple of lengths off those big horses. Mm. And um, then she went back to the new market. Um, coming str- uh, coming off a strong fourteen hundred meter race, in back to the twelve hundred fifty two kilos on the back end. Gee, she won good. She she yeah. just. I remember speaking to Roy Higgins before the race, and he said to me, "Just uh, when you when you think it's ready to go, count to ten, and then if you yeah. then count to ten again." He said, and then let it go, and, mm. and that's pretty much what I did. And gee, she she just ran past them like they were standing still when I let her go. She was explosive on a day. Yeah, Roy Higgins, he, he rode a few winners down the straight six. Yeah, and he wasn't a marvellous man, uh, John, just always had time to to help anyone. Mm. Like for the great rider he was, he, you could all, you always seen him um, talking to the, the, the younger jockeys and, and helping the younger jockeys. He was always there for advice or to, to give his ear. Roy. Mm. Roy Higgins, Danny, was the same bloke at the end of his career, as he was when he arrived in Melbourne from Daniloquin at age 17 to begin his yeah. career. He never, ever changed. He was the yeah. perennial good bloke, Roy Higgins. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a um, no, good place, Daniloquin. My uh, my grandparents uh, lived, lived there and I still got family in Daniloquin and, mm. and even... Um, at Beryl White, 
I'm pretty sure she was from Denaquin too. I know definitely she's got a sister there yeah. who lived next door to my grandmother. Yeah. So, but I'm pretty sure uh, Beryl started her uh, she her early life in Denaquin. Yeah. So it's got a bit of got a bit of racing history, Denaquin. Certainly has. Now, Danny, just sit there for a moment. We'll pause to clear a commitment on the podcast. Give you time to. Uh, Prepare your words to prepare your tribute to the best horse you've ever ridden. Back with Danny Beasley after this. The Sydney Autumn Carnival is gathering momentum and will feature two great Group 1s at Randwick on Saturday. Highlight is the $600,000 Chipping Norton Stakes, first run in 1925. The race that Winks and Tie the Knot dominated in their day, each winning it four times on the trot. Co-feature will be the surround stakes for three-year-old fillies, 1,400 metres, worth half a million dollars. This race was created in 1979 to honour the career of the super filly who won 12 races as a three-year-old, including a Cox Plate. Also on the card will be the Group 2 Guy Walter. Fast forward one week to March the 6th for the $1 million Group 1 Randwick Guineas over 1,600 metres. The race that should identify the three-year-olds most likely to go on to the Rose Hill Guineas on Slipper Day. Co-feature will be the 1,300-metre Group 1 Canterbury Stakes. The Slipper Puzzle will take on more clarity with the running of the Risling Stakes for the Phillies and the Todman for the Colts and Geldings. Sydney at this time of year plays host to world-class racing for mind-boggling prize money. The Australian Turf Club and Racing New South Wales proudly present the 2021 Autumn Carnival. Grand Army won 13 races with 13 placings for 5.3 million. Now let's look at your record on the horse. You had 12 rides, 7 wins, including 6 Group 1s, and you ran second in the other five. How the hell did you get on a horse like Grand Army? Yeah, I reckon just being in the right spot at the right time, John, I, re- I remember it quite clearly. He had, um, I think he won the Ajax at, at Rose Hill the week before the Doncaster, mm. and um, he, he had a lightweight in the Doncaster, and for whatever, and Jimmy Cassidy uh, rode him in the Ajax, and for whatever reason, Jimmy didn't want to ride him in the Doncaster. And um, uh, I remember I come up to the tower after track work and uh, I, I don't know sort of what the conversation was before that, but I pretty much just walked in the door mm. and Gay looked at me and she said, have you got a ride in the Doncaster? And I said, no. I said, she said, well, you're riding Grand Army. And I said, oh, that'll, that'll do me. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah, and the, and the rest is, yeah, rest is yeah. history. Yeah. Ah, oh, he was a hell of a horse. He won the Queen Elizabeth twice. In the first one, you very severely wounded Lonro's army of fans. It was Lonro's last race, but you weren't worried about the sentiment. You actually hatched a plan to beat Lonro, and it worked. Yeah, well, we we sort of sat down the like during the week, um, myself, Gay, and, and Alan Bell, and, and spoke about the race and. Um, we just it was it, it, it was a small field. They didn't look like much speed, and we we thought if we could lead and and just go along at a nice uh, easy clip early. But 
once we got down that side, we sort of get going, wouldn't try and let Lonro get up on our back because he beat us in the George Ryder, I think. And he he was he's just if he got up on our back, he just was too had too good a sprint for us. He'd out sprint us, so mm. we thought if we can draw his sprint out, we might he might get to us, but he mightn't get past us. And mm. and that's how it worked out. I had a very easy run in front. No one took me on. And then as soon as I got down that side, I just got going on him. And and he loved Randwick Grand Army, and he just thought he was out there having a morning morning gallop. And mm. the big fella, he just started stretching and. Yeah, geez, it would have took even Lonro. It would have took something very, very special to beat him that day because that was he was that was him at his best. Mm. Hey, wasn't Victory Vane a wonderful race mare? Twenty-seven yeah, starts, nice. twelve wins, three seconds. You won the Silver Slipper, Sweet Embrace, and Magic Knight on the filly, and you went into the Golden Slipper with great confidence. But you've told me once or twice. That's the one you'd like to have over again. Yeah, 100%, John. I was too confident on her. I, I thought she was, She was. there's no doubt she was the best two-year-old that year. She was, uh, like what you just said, she won the Silver Slipper, the the Riesling Slipper, the Magic Knight mm. going into the Slipper. And, and like, you, you, wouldn't see a, you wouldn't see a filly have a program like that these days. Um, and mm. then she, and then after the slipper, she won the size and then won the champagne. But on the slipper, I was just too confident. I bounced her out and, and got her up there out of trouble. I thought it was just a matter of keeping her out of trouble. And, um, there was a thing of Gary Portelli's led and a fast thing. And, mm. and I should have just not worried about it and not worried about the sort of rest of the field. I just should have sat on it, but I chased it a bit and, and uh, got to the front too early, and then, as history says, Callaway got a ride on the line, uh, which was uh, pretty devastating at the time. Oh, of course it was. And Scott Seymour rode Callaway Gal that day. He was on the crest of one of the most amazing runs that I've ever seen a jockey have at that level. In fact, on that day, Dan, if memory serves me rightly, he rode four winners on the day. Yeah, I think you like that. Was that the year he won the BMW? Yeah, the Furial, and yeah, it was just amazing, wasn't he? He's that like over about a two or three year period, he just won everything. Mm. Quite amazing. Well, uh, Victory Vane almost won the Princess Series as a three year old. She won the first three legs, and then was beaten by Royal Perla, trained by Greg Hickman in the Flight Stakes. She raced a little ungenerously that day, I recall. Yeah, she she was really probably six furlong, seven furlongs was her was her best trip. But um, she won the champagne as a two year old, small field and led. Um, and then the flight stakes, yeah, she she just used to run a bit keen when she'd get up in trip. And um, and yeah, that Royal Pearl of Patty Payne gave her a beautiful ride and just sort of followed me and ran off me back and and beat her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you finally got your golden slipper. In fact, it wasn't long after. It was only one year later. You won the slipper on a filly called Polar Success for Graham Rogerson. Now, Danny, nobody in their right mind could put Polar Express amongst the all-time great fillies to win the slipper. But this was a classic example of a horse being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, she she was, really was, John. She was a real two-year-old. Um, she was a strong, very mature filly, 
and and Graham done a great job with her. He gave her a great preparation, trained her, trained her really, really well, and and had her just peak on the day. And and she was she was very easy to ride. She was first out of the gates. She'd put herself in a position, relax, mm. and and then have a little bit of a kick. And and that's what won her the race that that year. She um, was first out of the gates. She, we didn't draw that well, but she she had great speed to get across and. And I didn't make the same mistake as the year before. I grabbed hold of her and, and let her have a rest mid mm. mid section, and then held on to her and held on to her and um, let her go the last two hundred. And she mm. and she won. She was and that was yeah, that was a great day, bit mm. of redemption. Now, mate, when you finished out of a place on a horse called Written Tycoon in Stratum's Golden Slipper, nobody dreamed. Fifteen years later. That horse would be among Australia's most sought-after stallions. His rise in recent years has been unbelievable. Was he ever a chance in that slipper? Um, he, he didn't really. He, he was. He only ran fair in the slipper. No, he. He. We thought he'd run well, but he was probably a bit disappointed. But he. He. Um, I remember he didn't. We didn't really get into that good a spot, and he didn't give me the best ride. He half wanted to hang off the track, and I think as it worked out, he ended up having. He didn't pull up that well after the race. He either had a bit of knee issue or shin soreness or that. But um, yeah, it's quite amazing that uh, how well he's done. He's he's been a real revelation. But yeah. he was such. It was one thing I'll say, John. You you wouldn't have seen a most more beautiful looking horse mm. he was like so athletic and he had like a bit of a an arabian sort of a look about him and he mm. he always had a bit of fire and a bit of up and go about him mm. but he was he was just an amazing i remember as a young horse he was just an amazing looking animal mm. um and uh yeah he's just what he's done at start is just oh but been down there falling over themselves at the yearling yeah. sales all over Australia to buy the written tycoons. It's astonishing. Well, they just win every day, don't they? It yeah. doesn't matter where, what uh, results you look up, there's a written tycoon one. It's it's mm. amazing. I yeah. was watching a race in Brisbane yesterday. Philly called Tycoon Evie led all the yep. way to win a race and her trainer, Rex Lip, is of yep. the opinion she's going to stay at least a middle distance. Yeah, there you go. No yeah, real. so he just doesn't get sprinters, yeah. No. no. He's done a great job. Now, other Group 1 winners for Danny Beasley were a Metropolitan on Victory Smile, you won an Anset on Tempest Morn, you won a Flight Stakes and a Sires Produce on Fashions Afield. You didn't win a Group 1 on Tuesday Joy, but you were placed in three races on this filly owned by John Singleton, Victorian Oaks, AJC Oaks, and AJC Derby. She was honest. Yeah, she was, John. And as she got older, which was always going to be the case, the better she got. She was uh, those early days. I don't think she even ran as a two-year-old, but she's a big, leggy filly mm-hmm. and um, big green. And she done a great job through her three-year-old career. She won the Wakeful, and then she ran into Miss Fenland in the Oaks, and then um, she ran ran a great race in the Derby. Mm. And then I'll put my hand up. I didn't give her a good ride in the Oaks in a, in Sydney, mm. and um and she ran only ran third. She but she was probably a little bit disappointing too. But on the day, but I definitely didn't give her the best ride. Mm. Um, 
but then as she as she matured on and as she got to a four five year five year old, she was she gee, she was a good good mare, wasn't she? Wasn't she? What so when you came back after the AJC Oaks, you looked a bit sheepish, did you? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I, well, I knew what was coming for me. I, you know, <laughs> but, but that was well, that was one thing about Gay when if, if you rode a bad race, she'd let you know. But as soon as you walked away, that was it. Get Forgotten. on to the next one. Mm. Yeah, well, get on you know what? Get her on her famous father didn't even do that. Tommy Smith had a hard and fast rule, as I recall. If a jockey went out there and slaughtered one on him. He yeah. wouldn't say he'd bite his tongue. He wouldn't yeah. say a word when that horse came back to the enclosure because yeah. he didn't want to upset or distract the jockey's train of thought for the race so after. The next one. Yep. He, he would yep. wait until track work the following morning and then deliver yep. his opinion. Yeah, yep, yeah. Makes no, sense. That's, it does, it does, yeah. But the, the the one one thing with Gay, she she always had her opinion. Um, but as I said, soon as soon as it was over, it was over. She said, "Get on and, and get mm. the thing." And she's taught me so much. Like mm. um, I'll be forever indebted to Gay to the opportunities that she gave me mm. and just the lessons. And she's she's uh, like just a great teacher in. Uh, in life. everything she does, <clears throat> life, mm. racing, everything. So yeah, she's. We always hear how uh, great an ambassador she is for racing, but the effect that she would have had on a lot of people's lives that have gone and worked with her—that uh, would—that's her—that's her legacy. Yep. I presume the best horse you've ridden in Singapore so far is War Affair. You won three Group Ones on that horse. He was a New Zealand bred. He won seventeen races all up for the equivalent of three million. How would you rate him? At Group One level in Australia, yeah, he, he'd probably fall a little bit short um, in the Group One levels, uh, Group One in Australia. But he was very dominant up here in his in his three and four year old career. Very very good horse. Um, it's it's hard to measure him up. Uh, I, I would say he'd go back if he if he had went back at his prime. Mm. He probably could have measured up to. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe like those races, a uh, like a tramway or yeah. something, just a bit, a bit short, like a handicap, yeah. uh, group two, group three handicap type of horse. Yeah, right. yeah. But in Singapore, yeah, but, he was a star. Yeah, in Singapore, he was a star. And and mm. there's been a few horses go back the last couple of years that have been um, very very good. Like there's a horse here, uh, debt collector. Mm. Um, who won it? Won everything, and he was probably fairly close to War Affair. Mm. Um, in his, in his, he raced a bit after War Affair, but he was mm. as, probably as dominant as War Affair. But he went back to uh, Melbourne, yeah. and and he couldn't really get hot. So, yeah, interesting. Um, mm. It's a bit, yeah. It'll be. There's a good horse. Cliff Brown's taken a good horse back with him. Um, he's called Inferno, yeah. and he he was very dominant in his two and three year old career up here. So you'll see him racing in Melbourne probably later on this year. So it'll be very interesting to see how mm. how he measures up. You've got several reasons to stay in that part of the world now. Your wife, Ash, is of uh, Malaysian-Singaporean origin. She's yep. the mother of your nine-year-old son, your eight-year-old daughter, and you've got another little girl who's keeping you on your toes. She's just 15 months old. 
Yeah, yes. Her name's Sonique, and yeah, she's been a great addition to the family. Made us all feel young again, mm. and uh, she's a bit of a terror. I, mum and dad said I, or mum used to say that I was a bit of a bugger of a of a kid when I was growing <laughs> up, and she says this one's payback for me. So, but uh, yeah, you, <laughs> you can't yeah. turn your back. She, if you turn your back, she's up on a table, or she's in a cupboard, or Ooh. she's yeah, she's uh, she's a very mischievous. Little bugger, but she's a lot of fun, John. She's, uh, yeah, makes, and you love makes our days a lot brighter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah, uh, she makes our days a lot brighter, that's for sure. Now, Dan, you've got a 17-year-old boy, Baxter, who lives in Sydney. What does Bax yep. think of your decision to return to the saddle? Yeah, he was, he was pretty excited about it. He was, um, it was quite funny. He, um, he's, he likes the races. He's, mm. um, He's pretty keen on him, watches him and that, and he actually uh, was wanting to do a bit of work experience um, and, and go down to the stable. So I've sort of lined him up for with Mark, we, me made him Sydney Mark Newman to, so when he's ready, folks will probably go and have a go down there and see what it's like. But, um, yeah, I, I got a message. Uh, it was funny. I got it on the – in the car on the way home and there was a message and it was about 12.40, so it would have been about 10 minutes mm. after the first me first ride and he said, um, I hope you ride the second one better. <laughs> so he might, have, he might have had his $10 each way on the first one. <laughs> Talking through the kick. <laughs> yeah, 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 so I'll have to give him a – I didn't speak to him last night but I'll ring him. Bring him shortly and, and see he'll have his opinion of, yeah. on me rides, I, I just suspect. Get his review. <laughs> Get his reviews, yeah. You've always been a devout harness racing fan and whenever yeah. I'd run into you at the races in the old days, your main conversation often centred around the trots. Now, that's the one thing you'd be missing in Singapore. No trots up there, mate. Yeah, I do, John. Yeah, I, I miss the trots like... Um, I try and watch a little bit when I when I can, but it's it's hard to hard to watch. There's no sort of unless you get on Facebook or something that mm. every now and then they might show a live race. But um, yeah, I I love the harness race. I love all the racing. It was mm. um, it's even quite quite good when young Ben Thompson was up here. Like mm. his family are famous uh, with the greyhounds, yeah. and um, I got in a share with. Uh, with young Ben in in a greyhound there last year, and geez, it was fun watching him uh, every week uh, go around. Like those greyhounds, they run every week and sometimes twice a week. But um, yeah, that's one thing about Singapore. It's a, it's just the racing, and there's not a lot out, out outside of that. But um, yeah, I miss me miss me trots and miss <laughs> miss the greyhounds. Yeah. I knew you would. Final yeah. question, mate, <clears throat> about your dad, Bob who was a very yeah. successful rider in the River Arena. He was stopped in his tracks, sadly, by a very complicated leg break. He's about 72 now, according to my calculations. And yeah. the last time we spoke, you told me he was bored to tears and had returned to the shearing shed. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's um, past. Uh, past the shearing shed, but I, I know what they – I'll tell you what they've done, mum and dad, about halfway through last year, they bought a caravan. Oh. So now every weekend they uh, put the caravan on the back of the the, the trailer, the car, and away yeah. they go and they, 
they've um, oh, they've had some beautiful weekends away. As we speak, they're in Corowa this weekend, mm. down on the banks of the, the Murray there. Where you and rode your first winner. Where I rode my first winner, yeah. yeah. And um, and uh, two weeks ago, they went up to the uh, hills up the back of their uh, t- Tumbarumba yeah. and uh, Tumut and that, and mum sent me some beautiful photos of they went up um, on the old tracks and found the Brumbies. Mm. And, uh, yeah, me. so they're having some great times, John. They're enjoying their retirement. Mum retired last year, but she still does mm. a little bit of part-time nursing. Isn't that lovely? But, um, so now they've yeah, got the caravan and um, I don't know what me uh, sisters and brother think. They've lost their babysitter, but um, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they're out and about every weekend. The caravan, I think Friday afternoon they usually head off. and Good on them. Well, i tell you yeah. what, mate, it seems – that they've injected a little bit of romance back into their lives. Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> well, Danny, keep the weight under control because you never know. One of your old mates later this year or autumn of next year might get you over to ride something at 52 or 53 in an Epsom or a Doncaster. Yeah, you never know. Wouldn't that be a dream? Yeah, no, I- Probably even if it's a good one, I'll probably go down a little bit lighter if they need me. But uh, <laughs> Good on you, mate. Yeah, no, I, I, as I said to you uh, earlier there, I'm, I'm very close mates with Mark Newman and we speak um, yeah. uh, most weeks. We speak at mm. least once or twice a week and, um, geez, I'm just so proud of what he's done oh. and um, just he's really going from strength to strength. And What a um, season he's having. Yeah, it just gives me great – I don't miss too many of his runners and it gives me great joy to mm. uh, just watch and follow his stable and, and see mm. how, how he's done. He's, um, he's, he's done so, so well and uh, mm. yeah, that's my interest in Sydney racing at the moment, watching his, his mm. rise. Well, mate, after a wrap like that, here comes your Epsom ride for 2021. <laughs> Let's hope so. Right, you mate. never know. Dan, welcome back, mate. Uh, you've got a lot of friends in Singapore and here in Australia. We were all uh, tickle pink to watch you back in action last night. Nothing has changed. You look very much at home, very effective, very skillful, very vigorous. All the things a, a good jockey has to be. Keep up the good work, mate, and the winners will come. Thanks, John. Much appreciated. And uh, as as always, I'm very humble that you find the time to and pick me out to do these interviews um you're uh someone that i look very highly upon in in racing and always looked up to and very much respect you a lot and for you to pick me out to do your weekly interview is very humbling so thank you my pleasure danny great to have you on a podcast produced by supernova sound <laughs> <laughs>